good morning and welcome back to Water and Stone. My name is Dieter Randolph and I'm really happy to be here with you, especially today because in our journey through the Bible, we've done some amazing stuff with the Old Testament passages. Really, really good stuff. Really, really good responses from you. I've learned some things that I didn't know before and it's just been great all the way around. But I'm excited because today we are into the New Testament. We get to talk about Jesus and if you know me at all, you know that that's big for me. And, and, and I'm so happy to get to talk about what we're about to talk about. But before I get there, I want to share just a, just a moment of housekeeping with you. Some people have said, you know, a long time ago in the before times, the church used to have uh, an email newsletter and it, we would get a text message and, and stuff like that. And, and what happened? And in the course of things that, that have happened, we stopped text messaging people because it seemed like a weird thing to do. And a lot of stuff went on. But I want you to know that while the church does not have a weekly newsletter, I do. And so if you go to my website, did you know that I had a website? It's waypastok.com, W-A-Y-P-A-S-T-O-K-A-Y, waypastok.com. If you go to my website, there's a link there where you can, you can uh, sign up for my newsletter. Every week, it goes out on Sundays. Um, every week I write a little message of what, what I've been thinking about in the week, and there's links to what I'm up to and stuff like that. And frankly, I'm not up to a lot right now because it's hard to go any place. But that is changing, and I'm putting together something pretty special that's going to happen before too long, and you're going to want to know about it. So check out that newsletter at waypastok.com. But with the housekeeping taken care of, let's get right into this really interesting couple of stories. There's two stories today. There are uh, Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, and then Jesus and the parable of the Good Samaritan. These are both Samaritan stories, and we're going to learn why they're linked and why that's important in just a moment. But let's get right into it with our opening prayer. God is and I am. I stand on holy ground. Right here and right now, there is truth. Right here and right now, there is freedom. Right here and right now, there is life. This is who I am. I am ready. From now on, I speak the truth. From now on, I choose freedom. From now on, this is my life. The unstoppable love of God prepares the way. I am ready. And so it is. Amen. So, Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well is in John chapter 4, verses 4 through 42. And this is not so much of a Sunday school story. This is one that you might not have uh, encountered when you were a kid, but you probably uh, encountered it later on as an adult. What I want you to know about these two stories, uh, Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, and then the parable of the Good Samaritan, is that Samaritans are kind of the butt of the joke. They are the people that... Uh, that you make fun of. They're supposed to be uh, not so smart. They're supposed to do things the, the bad way. You know, two Samaritans walk into a bar. It's like that level of, uh, what are you doing? You're, you're doing that like a Samaritan would. It's like that kind of a thing. Time's a good bit because along with them being socially unacceptable, let's say, to the Jews, they are ritually unclean. Ritually unclean. What that means is, I mean, think about what you know about all of the rules in the Old Testament about what you're supposed to eat and what you're supposed to wear, all of the stuff in Deuteronomy, and all of these things that are designed to keep you ritually clean. 
being ritually unclean is a very big deal, not just in, in the Old Testament, but throughout a lot of religions. Think about all of the rules that there are in different uh, religious practices. And so a Samaritan is somebody that you're not supposed to talk to, you're sure not supposed to hang out with, you shouldn't go anywhere near them. They are unclean, bad. And in both cases, both of these stories, we find out that that doesn't actually matter anymore. It's kind of a big deal. But it's interesting because the problem with Samaria, where the Samaritans are from, hence the name, is that it's partly religious and partly worldly. Partly worldly and partly religious. And that's really interesting because the Bible says in John 4, 4, that Jesus and the disciples have to pass through there. And I think metaphorically, we all have to pass through this place that's partly worldly and partly spiritual. I mean, we've got bills to pay. We've got stuff to figure out. We have practical concerns. And you have to pass through that to get to the place where you can really give that over to God and just focus on God business. And for some people, that's a long period of time that we're in Samaria, so to speak. Um, it's important to understand that Samaritans have a lot in common with, uh, with the Judean Jews. They are descendants of Jacob, just like the, uh, the Israelites and all that. They worship the same capital G God. The main difference is that for the Samaritans, they go up to the mountain to worship. And for the Jews, they go to the temple to worship. There are some distinctions, but at the, key, the key thing is that's the main difference. They have so much common ground. But when you think about it, people don't really fight if they have nothing in common because they don't care. When you fight, you fight over some kind of common ground or another. And if you're smart, you'll get to the place where you realize, wait a minute, that common ground can be the thing that we fight over, or it can be the place where we unite. The next time you have a fight, an argument, a disagreement, a row with somebody, take a minute and go, wait a minute, we're fighting because there's common ground here. What if we can unite on that common ground? Look, we both want happiness for this person. We both love this. We both think that this is good, but we have a different idea about it. What if we come back to that place? I think that so much gets broken when we decide that people are evil just because they disagree with us. If you're a Democrat, it doesn't help you to think that Republicans are evil. If you're a Republican, it doesn't help you to think that Democrats are evil. That's plain old childish and it's plain old wrong. And you can apply that to anything. So we're going to get over that idea if we're going to grow through that idea. So here's Jesus in Samaria at Jacob's well. And there's a Samaritan woman there. And Jesus asks her for a drink. That sounds like a setup to a joke, but that's really what happens. Jesus asks her for a drink. And if you understand what I was saying a minute ago about ritual impurity and everything, you know that this is a major breach of protocol. This is a big deal. You don't talk to those Samaritan people. You sure don't get them to feed you or, or give you a drink. That's, that's no good. And the Samaritan woman knows this. And she says, why are you asking me for that? What are you doing? And then there's that moment. Because she doesn't know it's Jesus. You know, it's not like he's wearing a name tag. And everybody's got a beard and robe and sandals, let's be clear. Even some of the women. And she says, why are you talking to me? I know you're a Jew, so what's up? 
And Jesus said, if you knew who you were talking to, you wouldn't ask that. As if to say, you know, if you knew what I stood for, I'm here for love and acceptance and mercy. And I don't care about those stupid boundaries, you know, but if you knew what, who you were talking to, you wouldn't ask that. Instead, you'd ask me for a drink because that stuff in the well, when you drink it, you'll get thirsty again sometime. But what I give is living water that does not run out. I want you to remember with me that there are a number of hallmarks of something that is truly a spiritual something. And one of the things that we've talked about before is you know it's God's stuff, so to speak, because it does not run out. Remember how the burning bush is not consumed by the fire back in the story of Moses? Well, Jesus is saying, the water that I give is living water. It does not run out. This inspiration... And she kind of gets it, but kind of doesn't. Because remember, the Samaritans are partly spiritual and partly worldly. And she has worldly concerns about that. And then Jesus does this great thing. He reveals, and I'll let you read it in the story once again. It's fourth chapter of John. He knows everything about her life. Never met her before. But it's one of those killing me softly with his song kind of a moments where, where Jesus knows everything about where she's been and what her life is and her heartache and her happiness and everything in between. And she kind of gets it that there's something special about this, this man that she's talking to at the well. Jesus doesn't even judge when she remarks, you know what, I'm from Jacob, just like you are. And he doesn't, doesn't argue about that when there are some Jews that would say, don't even you know, take that word Jacob out of your mouth. Jesus accepts it. Yeah, I know we're all from the same place. Of course we are. This is kind of a Jesus thing to say, you know. But she goes, okay, let me ask you this. You're so smart. My people say that you're supposed to go and worship God, our God that we have in common. My people say that you're supposed to go worship God on top of the mountain. And the Jews, your people say that you're supposed to go worship God in the temple. You're so smart. Which is it? She comes from a practical place. This is a practical question about a physical location. But start where you start. This is one of the things that we learned back when we talked about Jonah last time. Start where you start. And he says something really interesting. He says, Jews worship what they know. Samaritans worship what they don't know. But you're both worshiping the same thing. As if to say, there's something really noble about worshiping the thing that you don't know. Instead of thinking that you have all the answers because you've got all the books, because you've done all the practices. We've talked about this, haven't we? There's something that's almost better about worshiping what you don't know. But he says, it's not really either thing that's important. This reminds me, as I read this story, it reminded me of, of how many times I would be in a situation with my two children where they'd be arguing about something. And I would have to say, basically, look, you're both right and you're both wrong. 
It's not about either of those things. Let's stop fighting about this and go do this other thing because there's more to the story than the level at which you're fighting on. You're both right and you're both wrong, kids. And Jesus says almost the same kind of thing. He says, look, it's okay to, to, to think in those terms, but there's so much more going on. And here is the quote. John chapter 4, verse 24. I want to read it to you. Jesus says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. In other words, not in a place, not in an outfit, not in music, not in the, the sage that you burn, not in the stuff that you do, not in the practices from some faraway guru. It doesn't matter where you go, because if God is everywhere, it's kind of silly to go to one spot to find God, isn't it? If God is in your heart, then you don't need any paraphernalia, do you? Jesus, in this moment, surmounts the physical issue about God. This is huge. And in a book called Lessons in Truth by Dr. H. Emily Cady, which is a book you should own, Lessons in Truth, Dr. Cady makes a big deal about what Jesus says. God is spirit. And she points out, quite rightly, she points out that Jesus does not say God is a spirit, not one of many, but rather spirit, capital S, full stop. God is spirit, the whole thing. And if you want to worship God, stop trying to do it the right way physically and start thinking about spirit and truth. What are you inspired to do and how can you carry that out? Spirit and truth. What's the truth about the situation? So the physical issue mountain versus temple, is surmounted. A Samaritan woman, being very practical, moves it into a temporal concern. She says, well, I know that that's all going to be true when the Messiah gets here. Someday. So it's not a place thing. Okay, I get it. Let's make it a time thing. It's very practical. It's a good way. She's very smart. She didn't get enough credit, in my opinion. But Jesus says... When the Messiah gets here, <laughs> um, here's my card. And she gets it. One of the lessons that we learn from the story of Jonah is that people don't have to go to the same school as you in order to get it. There's a part of us, no matter where we've been, what we've been through, what we've read, what we believe, how we vote, what we eat. There is a part of us that knows it when we see it. And if you want to get there spiritually, all you got to do is give yourself to that wonderful, sweet, childlike part. It's there. It might be hiding. It might be buried. But it's there. Your job, if you want to be happy and successful, is to find that part of you that knows love, knows truth, knows beauty, knows spirit, art, inspiration when you see it. Maybe it doesn't know why. Maybe it's time to worship what you don't know for just a minute if you want to be in the presence of the Messiah. That's what's at stake. She gets it. And she goes and tells everybody, guys, Jesus, he's the Messiah that we've all been waiting for. And she becomes a powerful force for spreading the word. And the disciples kind of show up after a while and they say, you never did get a drink, did you? Because <laughs> one, one of the things the disciples are really good at is missing the point. She gets it. These guys who've been hanging out with Jesus all the time continually don't get it. 
We're going to see that. We just started talking about Jesus. We're going to see that over and over again with Jesus. But they say, well, you never did get a drink, did you, uh, Jesus? Can I get you something? You know, a drink? You want some food? And Jesus says, I have food to eat that you know not of. You've heard that quote before. Now, again, the disciples don't get it, and they go, oh, I guess he had a sandwich in his pocket or something. I guess we're good. Uh, we should have told us about the magical doggy bag you got there, Jesus, because we're hungry or whatever. But here's, here's another quote I want to share with you. He says, no, it's not about whether or not I got a sandwich in my pocket. Guys, guys, he says, the quote is, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In other words, I'm not concerned about what I receive. I know that my job is to do, is to serve. The will of God is love. My job is to live in love. And to the degree that I do, I get fed. And this is a powerful prosperity lesson. We are supported by the work, by being in the flow here and now. This is the living water that doesn't run out that Jesus was talking about. Are you spending time in the receipt department thinking about how you're going to get what's yours, how you're going to get paid, how you're going to get recognized, honored, valued, those kinds of things? Because I got to remind you that you're not in the outcome department. That's God's job. Your job is to step into the flow, to go and do the will of him who sent you. That's God. Oh, it might be tough to hear, but wherever you are, you've been sent by God. This is a big deal, guys. You've got some loving to do, some learning to do, some helping to do, some feeding to do. Stop thinking about how you're going to get fed. Because I promise, to the degree that you give yourself to love, life will feed you. God will care for you. That is the lesson here. And this, in this moment, is a reversal of post-Edenic thinking. Remember when Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden and God said, you guys are doing it wrong, so everything's going to be hard? Remember, we talked about this. And go back and watch that if you haven't. Because God is not punishing Adam and Eve. He's saying, as a consequence of your separation from the truth, well, you can't live a true life. And so things are hard. And here's Jesus. Now we know what we know about Jesus, that he's here to put it back. And Jesus says, let's get back to that idea that all you have to do is care and serve. Stop worrying about it. And things will work out. Now, Jesus says things like this over and over again, doesn't he? It's kind of key. But in this moment, everything changes. So that first story is a story of a Samaritan, someone who's not supposed to get it, get it getting it profoundly well. And the second story is another uh, flavor of that. It's really interesting. Jesus is being asked, how do we keep the commandments? Because there's a lot of them, and, and I don't get it, and there's all these rules about what we're supposed to do. Remember, we talked a minute ago about all the things about ritual and purity, for example. And even if it's just the Ten Commandments, how do we follow them? I don't get what that means. And more than that, if you get into Deuteronomy, there's a lot more than ten things you're supposed to do. How do we follow all of these rules, and how do we do it? Because there's a lot of rules, and they don't always make sense, and man, oh man, there's a lot at stake. Those three factors are the reason why a lot of people stop going to church. I can't win this game, so I ain't playing. Right? I get it. But as it turns out, it doesn't have to be played on those terms. It can be a lot simpler than that. Okay, Jesus, how do we keep all the commandments? And Jesus repeats something that is in the Old Testament, by the way. He didn't write this. He quotes it. He says, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, you're keeping all the rules. Stop worrying about the specifics. That's what you got to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. It's something to remember. Because everything's in there. There's a lawyer in the crowd. I love that the Bible points that out. And the lawyer says, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, then, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Let's, let's really get this ironed out. Brass tacks. And as a response, Jesus tells this story. Because there's this rough road, and you can find the story. I'll give you the quick version, because this is one you probably did here in Sunday school. And also, I want to respect our time together. The quick version is, there's this rough road, and this guy is walking down the road, and he's set upon by thieves, and they just beat the tar out of him, and they take all of his stuff, and they leave him for dead on the side of the road. And a priest comes by. There's no such thing as Catholics yet. This is a, a, a Jewish guy. A priest comes by. And he just goes to the other side of the road. And a Levite comes by, a follower of Levi, comes by and goes to the other side of the road. They don't want to have anything to do with them because dead things and dying things are ritually impure. This comes up again. Don't play with dead things. It's, it's not good. It's bad juju. So they stay away as far as they can. Priest and the Levite don't have anything to do with it. But then a Samaritan comes. And he makes sure that he's okay. And he takes him to an inn and he gives him money. He says, just take care of this guy. Make sure that, that he's okay. I'll be back later. If there's any tab to pick up, I will pick up the tab. A Samaritan. These guys are supposed to be dumb. A Samaritan. These guys are supposed to be rude and mean and selfish. A Samaritan is the only one who does it. Not the people that went to our schools and live in our neighborhoods and vote like we do. This is big. And so Jesus says, I ask you. Who's the neighbor in that story? And it's interesting. The lawyer replies, the one who showed kindness. Some people have pointed out that, that the lawyer doesn't say the Samaritan. It's almost like the lawyer doesn't want to say the word Samaritan. It's like Voldemort or something like you don't say the name of these terrible, unclean people. But given what has just happened in the story, I don't think that's the true meaning of that. I think what has happened is that the lawyer has grasped that this is an abstract. It's not that Jesus is saying that Samaritans are nice. Jesus is saying that the people who show kindness are neighbors. It's not about a specific group of people, a specific heritage, a specific neighborhood, a specific genealogy, a specific biology, a specific uh, political ideology. It's about show some kindness. That's how you become a neighbor. The lawyer grasps the abstract of it. That's the big deal. And this parable is one that we tell a lot. It's interpreted allegorically all over the place. Everybody knows, you know, there are some parts of the Bible that people say, you have to take that literally. But this is one of those parts that people are really good at understanding that this is, a, this is an allegory. This is, there's a moral to the story. But I think that some people go way too far the other direction. They say, okay, this is an allegory, but it's about Jesus. It's not about anybody else. It's about how nice Jesus is. Jesus is the Samaritan in the story because he's, he's downtrodden and disrespected, but he's the one who shows kindness. He's saving our souls and all of that. And that's beautiful. I love that. 
But if you think that the parable of the Good Samaritan is only about Jesus, you're missing something really important. Jesus says, you've got to do this. I think if he were to write in the, in the margins of your Bible, in the margins of your heart, he would say, this isn't just about me, this is about us. Always, the gospel of Jesus is the gospel of the divine us. The works I do, you shall do. Our Father, over and over again. You get it, right? So the message is that this is about you. We can't sidestep the moral issue here. Jesus is telling you and me that we are supposed to care for people even if we don't like where they've been. We're supposed to care for people even if it's, if it's risky outside of our comfort zone. This is a story about grace from unexpected sources. This is a story about sacrificing everything to be an avenue of that grace. As I said, the priest and the Levite avoid the guy because it's bad to be around dead things. But it's more important for them to assume that he's dead and stay, quote unquote, safe than to assume that maybe he's still alive and help and risk some kind of impurity to them. The priest and the Levite are examples of tolerance. They tolerate the fact that the guy is dying. That's what tolerance looks like, by the way. I've talked about this before. I'm not a fan of the word. We're not going to practice religious tolerance or racial tolerance or, or political tolerance or any other kind of tolerance. Tolerance is a terrible, condescending standard. We're going to stop talking about tolerance. The priest and the Levite in the story tolerate the fact that this guy is dying. They don't kick him. They don't celebrate that he's dying. They just go the other way. That's what tolerance looks like. And as I've said many, many times, we don't tolerate something that's wonderful. How was that restaurant? Oh, we tolerated it. How was that movie? I tolerated an hour and a half of it. Does that mean you liked it? If I tolerate you, what I'm really saying is I think that you're terrible, but I'm going to put up with it because I'm great. Tolerance is condescension, and I'm over it, guys. We are here to practice uh, acceptance, celebration, love. In this moment, Jesus... Uh, blows away the pure and impure continuum. It does not matter anymore. This is huge. This is a hallmark of Jesus' teachings. That it doesn't matter what somebody looks like. And it doesn't matter if you're going to risk everything to do the good that you are here to do. That's what's on the table. As the old saying says, you can't do all the good the world needs, but the world needs all the good you can do. And that's what's being said by this parable. Oh, love and goodness can come from unexpected sources. And in fact, doesn't it always? Maybe it's time for you to be one of those unexpected sources. Maybe it's time for you to show some love in ways that are unexpected. I promise it's what you're here to do. I promise it's what the ministry of Jesus Christ is all about. And I promise it's going to feed you and clothe you and set you free. Because after all, freedom is a choice. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with me. I I'm so happy to be back with you again. Thank you for all of the questions and comments that come in. Keep them coming. Thank you for spreading the word. It means so much when you like and subscribe and share. Hit that share button. Tell somebody about these, these little videos that we share. We're going to have more to do. Sometime soon, the world's putting itself back together, but we need to be able to have a way to get the word out, and that means you hitting that share button. Thank you for doing it. 
I want to remind you that, that we can only do these things because of your gifts of love and substance. You can help support this church by going to donate.waterandstonechurch.com. Let's bless those gifts and hold them in our minds and hearts. Let's see them going through us and prospering our world as we share together our offertory blessing. God is my source, my unending supply. With this gift, I carry my gratitude into action. God's blessings flow through me and fill my world. I give and I live with radical joy. Amen. And wherever you go, you don't go alone. Wherever you are, you're not there alone. Together, we pray as a family. Let's share our family dedication. God, I'm ready for change. My heart is open. I'm not afraid anymore. My life is in peace and on purpose. And so it is. Amen. Now go show the world what love looks like today. See you next week. Hey, this is Dieter Randolph, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the lesson and hopefully for taking some time to apply what we talked about in your life. That's where this really happens. I love the idea that church isn't something that happens to you, but rather something that happens through you. What you do based on what you've heard can change your life and really change the world. This is just the beginning of a bigger journey. And if you want to continue your journey with us, I'd love for you to like and subscribe us on YouTube or you can watch the videos. Come join us in person. Our street address and all kinds of information is at our website, waterandstonechurch.com. All of that sort of thing. If you want to give electronically, that's where to do it. If you want to connect with us on social media, and you really should do that there, waterandstonechurch.com. Thank you for being a part of this work.